Hey, good morning, Westside. Happy New Year. Happy 2024. And uh, it's great to start the new year, the first Sunday of the Lord's Day here with you at Westside. So as Ken alluded to, this is kind of a different Sunday. It's heart of the elders. And what we've been doing for many years is taking that first Sunday of the year and just sharing with you what's on our hearts. What has God been teaching us over the past year. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And as Ken said, yes, you're going to hear from all five of us, but we promise to be brief. So with me, what God has been teaching me over the the past year is um, it's not something new, but something that was a, a, a truth that he reaffirmed to me. And for me, 2023 was a year of massive transition for myself, for my family. And it's two simple truths. The first is God is faithful. And the next is God can be trusted. God is faithful. God can be trusted. And where God kept taking me back in the scriptures was to the book of Joshua. And in the book of Joshua, if you're not familiar with Joshua, um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a leader. He came after Moses, and Moses was a, delivered the people out of Egypt from slavery and bondage, and then Moses passed the baton to Joshua. And so we have in Joshua 23 there, Joshua is kind of getting old and looking over his life. And he wants to leave some lessons to the people of Israel. And yes, I'm getting older, but hopefully not departing anytime soon, but here are some things that stood out to me over the past year. And he says this at the end of Joshua 23. It says, you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. And the thing I kept coming back to throughout the year was that passage. And, you know, God made some tremendous promises to the nation of Israel. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he makes some tremendous promises to you. And in that, in those verses there, it says, you know. So what Joshua is saying is not something that is ethereal, but you were there. You knew these things about the promises of God that he delivered on. And it says there, not just one promise didn't fail. But he says there, he says, not one word of any promise, not one word in any of those promises that God made to the nation of Israel failed. All of them came true. You can bank on that. So how does that apply in my life in 2023? Well, I said it was a year of great transition. So for me, I had been, uh, uh, I'd been the president of a healthcare company based in Salem for 21 years. I'd been with that company for 30 years. So I felt the Lord calling me to go out and Go on my own. Be a consultant. Okay, so before I had uh, the company or I had some other things that I'd done nationally in the industry, it's just me out there all by myself. And people would ask me like, hey, how do you feel about this? And I would say, you know, it's exhilarating and terrifying all rolled into one package. And so I did that. And, you know, we started out and I'm going like, how is this going to go? And Francis and I had had set some uh, funds aside to kind of carry us through in this startup phase. But as you know, if you start up a venture, those funds begin to dwindle. And you're wondering, like, did we just make the biggest mistake of my career? And then some things started to roll together. And, and one of those is 
Me at Willamette University, for some of you know, I, I did my grad school there. I hadn't been on campus in 36 years. Well, uh, the town I wanted to get out of, Salem, not that there's anything wrong with Salem, but I'm just more of a Portland metro guy. Guess where I'm at? Several days a week now, consulting for Willamette University and the grad programs there. So I always say God has a sense of humor. But, um, but the middle picture there is, my, is the bookcase in my office. And in the top shelf, you might know some of the pictures, some of the people on that top shelf. One of them is, is Ken Pagel, a longtime pastor and elder here who had a profound impact on me. And what Ken would, would tell me is, you know what, Kennedy? And he'd seen a lot. And he would say, Kennedy, through the good times and the tough times, God is there. God is faithful. You can bank on him. And then the other picture there is someone much uh, younger than Ken. But another person who had a significant impact on me, and I think to many of us here, was Jacob Schwander. And I think many of you know the story of Jacob. He battled through cancer and, uh, and, and went to be with the Lord. And, uh, and one of the things that struck me about Jacob was Jacob would always tell me, you know, Kennedy, I'm trusting in God's promises and that God is good. And he's battling through cancer, and it had a big impact, as we know, on Penelope and on the Schwander and Code families and on us. But yet in the midst of the hurricane that surrounded them, God can be trusted. God is good. God is faithful. That's what Jacob would tell me. And so, like I said, 2023 was a year of transition. Well, the the third picture there is more transition is coming to the Hawkins family in 2024. So yes, I'm going to be a grandparent. Shocking, yes. It's Papa K in June 2024. That's going to be me. And I'm super stoked about that as Francis is as well. But here's one of the things that Francis and I were talking about recently was, you know, we don't know what it's going to happen in 2024. We, we just don't. But there are a couple of constants in life. One of them is change, okay? I know that seems like an oxymoron there, but one of the constants we have in life is change. And the other thing we have is constant is our God. So whatever may happen, we're all on a path. We're all on a journey together. Some of our paths are similar. Some of them are not. Whether it's awesome things are going to happen to your, in your life in 2024 or some brutal things may come your way. Here are things that you can bank on. God is faithful. He can be trusted. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he will always be there for you. And now with that, I'm going to turn it over to, to Dan Graham to kind of share what the Lord has taught him and put upon his heart over the past year. Thank you, Kennedy. It is good this time of year to reflect on the last 12 months. We're not governed by our calendars, but they do provide flashpoints for us going forward. So I know for some of you this past year has been very difficult and filled with uh, trials and uncertainties. And I would say for Jolyn and I, it hasn't been a difficult year, but it certainly has brought some uncertainty and I'm reminded that uh, any time we go through those kinds of things, whether it's trials or uncertainties, it's always good to go back, just like Kennedy suggested. God is faithful. Uh, he can be trusted. So what isn't uncertain is that the faith that I placed in Jesus Christ uh, never changes and is a good fundamental place to go back to. 
I just wanted to share a couple of scriptures with you and then add to the encouragement that comes, not just from knowing Christ and, and living in him, but also the benefits of that as a, as a body of believers. Uh, Jolynn reminded me of this, of this verse, and, and it's, it's just so good. Uh, many of you know it by heart, uh, Philippians 4.8. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So for those of you who this morning, not sure what the next 12 months are going to bring, uh, think about the things that you know to be true about our faithful God and what he's done for us through Christ. We not only look forward to eternity, but we can live uh, truly in victory as a result of knowing him. Uh, another another verse that uh, is familiar to you in, in Hebrews chapter 10, um, it, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It goes on to say, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So uh, this morning and this month in January, I, I'm just reflecting on, on so many things that I'm encouraged about as we meet together as a, as a group of believers. Uh, firstly, I'm, I'm encouraged uh, with the elders and deacons who I, I serve with. And the reason for that is, is I see a literal eternal optimism because they are placing their faith in trust in what God can accomplish. And they, they love you and they love Christ. And that is a great source of encouragement to me. I'm encouraged by what happens each and every Sunday morning. It takes an army of folks to accomplish what happens each Sunday morning. In the Sunday school in the back, we've got a number of folks who are in and out with Kids Connect and teaching our, our Sunday school age children. And they do it. They do it because they love the Lord and they want to encourage these kids to grow up in his love and share the love of Christ with them. I'm encouraged by our, our music ministry and, and, and just how that draws us into worship. Every time I'm here, I'm, I'm drawn into worship. And I appreciate uh, those who put so much time and, and our technical crew in the back who, who are Dutifully looking at the elements back there, nine of the ten of them, I don't even understand. But they do a good job of, of uh, producing producing what happens for us in the morning. I'm also encouraged by the squad of, of men that we have here at Westside who are gifted in preaching and in teaching. And I know that they spend anywhere from 20 to 30 hours of their own personal time and resources to prepare a, a, a a 30-minute message where they're sharing God's Word with us. And, and I appreciate uh, how many gifted men we have who are willing to do that. Uh, not only Sunday mornings, but I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by what's happening with our youth. We have a, a, a group of, of folks who are just committed to serving these kids. And, and if you remember how difficult that middle school and high school age was, uh, we've got folks who are committed to encouraging them in their walk with Christ. And, and I, I, I love to see that because a number of those kids in those groups are my grandkids. So it's, I, have a, I have a vested interest in what's happening with the Sunday school and youth group. 
I'm encouraged by the life groups that we had, the small groups. In my own group, um, I, I look forward to meeting with a, a group of men, just a small group, but we, we look at God's word together, we check in with each other, we pray for each other, and I know that's happening in multiple groups in our fellowship. And, and also, I'm, I'm encouraged by these small groups of people who provide help uh, with folks who, who need it. Throughout the last 12 months, I've just seen so many examples where folks from uh, various life groups or, or small groups of, of men and women who have reached out to people in, 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 in time of need and helped them. And that's such, a, such an encouraging thing. I also uh, value the, the one-on-one, the one-on-two, the two-on-two kind of ministry that I see happening at Westside where some of them are just folks checking in with each other. And some of them are pretty intense discipleship relationships that are so important in a body of believers like this. And then uh, just finally, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by the army of prayer warriors that we have here at Westside. Uh, so many times throughout the year, I, I hear of folks who are, are praying uh, for, for those in, in, in leadership, for those who have needs, uh, as we have a, a need that comes up in our, in our fellowship Folks are praying about that, praying for folks to be saved, praying for young people to come to Christ for the first time and others. So that that is a is a great source of encouragement to me. And just want to end with with a, a verse, a, a, another familiar one in First Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So as another, another old elder used to say here at Westside, keep on keeping on. With that, I'll invite Dan up. Man, I was way off on what this thing is supposed to be about, and I apologize. I was told in the email that this is like Seinfeld's airing of grievances, um, and I guess I was way off. Um, so I'm going to have to transition, um, to something else. No, just kidding. Uh, this, this last year I did a, um, I, I did a, a read through I've done several times that I really love. It brings you through the Old Testament once and then the New Testament a couple times, uh, in the year. And it's really great. And I remember it was around June or something like that. I read the gospel of John and I was like, whoa, I, you know, something stuck out to me. And I thought, I'm going to write this down. I'm going to journal on this all the time. And then, of course, I journaled once in June. And then, like, uh, when I got to it again in, like, December, I was like, oh, man, this is so good. I and, like, my last journal entry was kind of the same thing. So um, I'm not a real regular journaler. Um, but that was this. In the Gospel of John, Jesus mentions over and over that he's been sent from the Father. Over and over, I'm sent from the Father. That's how he describes himself. I don't do what I want to do. I'm, I'm not here to just do my own thing. I just do what the Father tells me. Um, you know, in, in John 4, he says that my, my food is to do the uh, will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Uh, and in John 5, he talks about being sent by the Father. And in John 6:38, he says this really great. He says, 6:38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I love that. Um, this year, one of the things the Lord has been challenging me about is the way that Jesus was completely dependent on the Father for everything he did. 
I oftentimes start my day, I start my day oftentimes reading the Bible, but then I, then I close my Bible and I'm like, all right, what do I want to do? And you know, the, I don't think that's the question to ask. And, and the Lord has been just challenging me over and over again about this idea of being sent, about being on purpose, on mission in my life. What does he want for me today? Um, and I think this really culminates in, in John chapter 20. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to open it and look at John chapter 20. Over and over again, Jesus reminds the, uh, John reminds us that Jesus was saying all the time, the Father sent me. I only do what the Father says. This, the Father has sent me. He's just put it, he's just, he sent me and that's what I'm doing. In John chapter 20, in 20, in verse 21, Jesus appears to the disciples. He's got a little dialogue with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. But then he comes and he sees his disciples. And one of the first things that he says after he tells them, hey, peace, he tells them peace a couple times. And then in uh, 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. It's one of the first things that Jesus tells his disciples after his resurrection. And it, I, this, this last time I read it, like a week and a half ago or whatever, I would, it was like I'd never read it before. It's like it had never been there. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Where is God sending me? I, you know, like Vivek went to Austria. That's awesome. And the Lord might be calling him to Austria again, Lord willing, this summer. The Lord, I, you know, one of my dreams way down the road is that I might, you know, when I retire is go teach jujitsu in some far off country. And uh, that's kind of my way of, of, you know, getting people in and then making disciples there. Maybe the Lord will send me to Thailand in 20 years. I don't know. But I know that today, God the Father sends me to my workplace. He sends me to the gym where I go interact with people and we get very close. Um, <laughs> uh, and he also sends me to my family. I don't have to wonder, what does God want me to do today? He has sent me to those places, and I'm there to be his ambassador. I'm there to represent Jesus. And I just, that, the whole idea of living on mission, of being sent by God, has so uh, convicted me um, that it, it has helped me start to reframe some of my interactions with people, some of the, when I, when I go places. And let, let me put it like this. For years, Amy and I were looking for more property. Uh, for our business, we, uh, we are tree farmers, and so we always need a little bit more space because, you know, trees grow. So uh, for years, we were looking for more space. And when this, this one popped up uh, this summer, we were not financially really ready for it. Uh, there were some other things that kind of out there, but the opportunity, we didn't have to wonder, should we do this? Because it's exactly what we were looking for. We were ready for it. We were ready. Like we had been thinking about this. What is it going to, um, what's it, what does the right kind of place look like? So when it came on, 
I went and toured the house for like five minutes and kind of looked at the field for about a half an hour, and we were ready to go. We made an offer. Now, the reason for that was, well, one, the market was kind of still nuts at that time. So if you didn't put an offer in like 10 minutes before the house lists, you're not going to get it. But um, the other part of it, though, too, is that we knew that we had to do something. We have to. We're compelled. And and I, I think some of the, the thing that the Lord was working on in me was sometimes I don't feel compelled to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. It's like it's extra credit. It's like, well, I'm going to try to live a really holy life, try to do all the things right. And, you know, if I'm feeling really extra today, maybe I'll share the gospel some. But that's not being sent. And that's not why God sent me. Um, and so this year has been uh, a year of, especially at the end of the year, God reminding me. My life is not my own. The love of Jesus that he's demonstrated to me, that he's given to me, that he pours into my heart daily, it compels me out. It, it, I, I must go out. The first two letters of gospel is go. It doesn't work so well in Greek because the word is evangelion, so the first two letters is ooh. But, um, but it works way better in English. I think that was the design all along. But the idea is that we are compelled outward. The love of Christ as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Good morning and welcome. A lot of you know what I do during the week. Uh, I work at a, a ministry uh, that serves the Farsi-speaking people of the world. So that's about 100 million people. And uh, most of them uh, live in the nation of Iran, uh, which is about 80 million of the world's uh, Farsi speakers live there. So Iran is right in the heart of the Muslim world, very important and strategic country. But one of the consequences of my work that I do is my coworkers, a number of them are refugees. These are people who grew up in Iran, uh, went through their childhood and education, uh, living in their homeland Uh, speaking their heart language, and then found themselves in the middle of their life uh, fleeing their country, their homeland, and relocating, in this case, to the United States. So part of what uh, that entailed was having to learn another language, become adept in another culture that wasn't their own, and then live life as uh, here establish a life here as a refugee. And unlike child refugees, uh, they, uh, their heart language is still Farsi. That's, that's the language they think in uh, on a daily basis. And so when, when I talk to them in English, uh, they're gracious enough to speak, to English, uh, speak English to me, uh, that for them is a, a, a translational experience. They're... they're uh, thinking in Farsi and, and uh, speaking to me in English. So that's part of what I've been thinking about this year 
because of the context in which I work and because the word of God, the, the New Testament, is a book that speaks so much about that cultural bridge. You see, Jesus himself came to this world from his homeland where he was at home to minister to us, to save us, to speak to us in our own language. And so much of the New Testament, as I read the book of Acts in this last year, I've been struck by uh, that, that cultural differences that the apostles were engaged in bridging to bring the precious message of Jesus Christ to people who, well, spoke other languages, lived in other areas. And to do that, the apostles were operating uh, across, across cultures to do it. And uh, much of our New Testament is infused with these ideas, particularly, I think, uh, the book of First Peter, where Peter writes from the perspective of uh, a refugee or an exile. The book opens, you remember, uh, he writes to the temporary residents dispersed. And, of course, another word for temporary residents is exiles. These people aren't living in their homeland. They're living as, uh, as exiles. And so from that perspective, Peter writes not only to his original audience, but, you know, he writes to me. He writes to all of us. I, I live, I, you know, I was born just a hundred miles south of here, so I can claim, okay, this is Oregon's my homeland, right? But in another sense, it isn't anymore. Jesus Christ has made my true citizenship the citizenship of some other realm. And as I operate here, I operate as a citizen uh, of another realm. And I'm an ambassador to the people I'm around. There's so many uh, implications of that as we live our lives here in Hillsborough, Oregon. So you may find yourself here in Hillsborough, Oregon, speaking your heart language, but you remember, there's a lot of people who live in Hillsborough, Oregon, that English isn't their original heart language. And that's an amazing experience. It's a, it's a, when I operate in a language other than English, you know the thing that it does to me? Oh, my goodness. It humbles me because <laughs> I'm, I'm so terrible at uh, speaking another language. I, I regularly uh, have made uh, cultural uh, false steps at work and said things people people didn't quite understand what I was saying. I had to go back and apologize, and uh, and so we we experience that cultural dislocation, and that's part of what uh, the apostle Peter says. He he writes to us to me and says, you know, here in this life that you're living here uh, in Oregon. In Hillsborough, Oregon, okay, where you are, you remember, don't forget, you're a refugee here. You're, you're not uh, a true citizen here of this realm. In chapter 2, uh, Peter says, uh, 2.11 here, I'm, I'm reading, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents 
to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that in any case, in a case where they speak against you as those who do what e- evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. So, as a congregation, we should all realize that we're here as residents of another realm, as citizens of another realm. But our lives, our interactions, wherever we are, are on display to the people around us. You know, what, what kind of a message are we sending? What, should it be any surprise to us that we have a lot of differences of opinions? No, of course not. In fact, we should... We might even find people that think us strange. But you know something? That's, that's what they thought of Jesus, too. They thought he was strange. But you know, the, Jesus promises when he speaks to the believers in the upper room, he says, you know, they hated me. And you know what? They're going to hate you, too. But you know what he says? A lot of people remember that verse. You know what? He says immediately after that, he says, you know, they listened to me, and they're going to listen to you too. So, not everyone, but there's going to be fruit as we are on display before the world. As we are, our lives, our conduct, particularly the way we treat each other, is on display before the world. And unity between believers is a costly thing. I, I talk about that with my wife. And, you know, forbearance. Forbearance costs me something. But you know something? I'm, I'm a forgiven man. I've been forgiven a huge unpayable debt. And, you know, I need to forgive others as well because I'm a forgiven man. So, uh, in, in his epistle, his letter, First Peter, Peter also writes about the possibility of suffering. In fact, he says, dear friends, here's what he says in chapter 4, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you and as if something unusual were happening to you. Don't be surprised, Peter said. Don't be surprised. Expect it. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So I don't know what kind of persecution is coming here, uh, but I, I know that whatever it is, I shouldn't be surprised. And in fact, I should be rejoicing in those circumstances. So within the Christian community, I think there's some that shrink back from what may be to come, you know, suffering. And I just see Peter telling me 
telling us, you know, be ready because something, there's going to be a blessing come out of this. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So God has something for us. And even if it is costly, it has a blessing, a blessing attached to it. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So as we follow Jesus Christ, our exile leader, let's, uh, let's together uh, follow him and look with expectation and rejoicing for what he's going to do through us to, in this watching world in which we occupy. Thank you, Andy. The name of our church, if you haven't guessed by now, is Westside Bible Fellowship. And we have said in the past, I haven't heard this recently, but in the past we've said that Bible is our middle name. And we say that to emphasize how important God's Word, the Bible, is here in the life of our church And my point I want to share with you this morning, just for a couple of minutes, is I love God's Word, and I want you to love it too. There was a time in my life, having grown up with the Bible all my life, there was a time I didn't love the Bible very much. I used to hear people exhorting me to read it, and I did it kind of as a duty rather than as a way to get to know God and to kind of bask in his love. And thankfully, um, God has done a work in my life, and I'm still on the way in that area, learning to love it as a love response to the God who wrote it. And it's just been a wonderful experience to me. I was reading in Colossians 1 this morning. It wasn't even part of my regular reading, but it just came to me. And I asked the Holy Spirit to open up my eyes to show me something that would be very significant in my own life for today. And He did. You know, when we search for the bread of life and the bread that's found in God's Word, we search for God to communicate with us. And we do that with with a sincere heart. I believe He will do that. There's a verse of Scripture, actually two verses up on the screen From Psalm 119, this whole psalm is about the psalmist's love for God's law, the statutes, the word here used, testimonies, all synonyms for God's holy scripture. And he says this right in the middle of the psalm, your testimonies are wonderful. Testimonies are wonderful, 
Therefore, because they're wonderful, my soul keeps them. In other words, obedience is a heart response to recognizing that God's commands are just wonderful. And then, verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. A couple of points. I think you're like me. You need a lot of understanding. There are a lot of confusing voices ringing in our ears. And we need to discern what is true and what is false. What is from God and what is from the pit of Satan. We need to have understanding. We need to have light from God. The thing that has ignited me more than anything else is that when I read Scripture, I recognize that this is God's voice speaking. It's the God of the universe taking such an interest in me as an individual that He wants to communicate with me and He does it in writing in my own language. And it's just such a wonderful blessing to understand that. And so, my encouragement to you I know some of you are into the Word every day, and some probably haven't dusted off your Bible for a long time. My encouragement to you would be don't wait to come here on Sunday morning to hear God's Word. Don't wait to go to your life group on Tuesday or Wednesday to hear God's Word. Immerse yourself personally in it daily. Find a quiet place. If you're a busy mom, you got kids running around and all kinds of distractions, go in the bathroom. Go in your car. Go somewhere to find a spot to meet with God, open up the Word, and my practical encouragement would be to simply say, Lord, I want to hear your voice speak to me. And I believe you will when you do that. You'll see a little um, QR code up on the screen. There's a... um, Pull out your phone right now if you're into this. Scan that. It'll take you to an excellent article on the website that Amy actually wrote, but how to enjoy God's Word in 2024. There's some very practical examples and illustrations and suggestions for how to hear from God by getting into the Word. And if you don't scan it, um, go to the website homepage, the bottom of the homepage, you'll find a link to that. But I encourage you, get to know God, not just the principles of the Word. Those are important, but 
Get to know the heart of God for you by reading Scripture on a regular, even daily basis. And you'll find that God will do a wonderful work in your life. I'm going to pray. Before I do, this just came to me as I was sitting there. Um, there's a little benediction in the book of Jude, second to the last book in the Bible. I'd like us all to stand as we pray this and as we go to the Lord in prayer as we close this service. But in the book of Jude, it says at the very end of the chapter, Now to Him, the God who cares about us, the God who is powerful to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior. I like how personal He is. Our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Lord, we just pray this back to you. We want much glory to go to your wonderful name. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to communicate with us. You are a speaking God. And thank you, Lord, you've given us the Bible in our own languages that we can read for ourselves and come to know your heart. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn to do that and that that would impact every area of our lives, our missional focus on people, our trust in you. And Lord, just do a deep work in us that we would stand strong during this year, even if persecution comes, that we would stand strong in you and be all out for Jesus. I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.